We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna I think the bottom line with this Anquan situation as a football team is a we respect his his decision. His decision. Um, that said, uh, we adjust. That's what we do. Uh, that's what this league is about: adjusting on the field and adjusting off the field uh, with our game plans. Uh, and and so, you know, in this league, been in this league and around this league for around 20 years, I've learned not to be surprised by anything. And uh, you know, that's that's really the the core of it. And as a football team, we adapt. Uh, you know, these players, this football team is is uh, has adapted before and will continue to adapt and, and show grit. That's that's uh, the, a hallmark of a good football team. So I've been extremely proud of the way uh, everyone has done that all through preseason. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Bell Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Sean McDermott from BuffaloBills.com talking about Anquan Bolden's retirement announcement. (laughs) That actually happened. This is real life. (laughs) We traded our one, and then our two retired after seeing our one get traded. I can't even. Chris, just just start the Buffalo Bills news update. Another week, another headline for the Buffalo Bills. You can't make this shit up. You can't. I was half in the bag on Sunday night when I got the very first text message claiming that Bolden had called it quits. Was that from me? Was it, it my was text? It was from Bob Kateris. Oh, fucking Bob. I assumed it was a prank and ditched my phone to go watch uh, HBO's hit series Game of Thrones with a little ballers. Just gonna... So you can imagine how hard I had to laugh when I came back. To about 27 missed Facebook messages, tweets, and texts asking me what the hell was going on at One Bills Drive <laughs> and confirming that our newly signed wide receiver was leaving the NFL. I will tell you that this team makes being a podcaster easy. They never cease to give me things to talk about. It's 
Chris, it's absurd. It, yeah. I mean, I get it. He's 35. He's going to want to win. We just traded away our, I guess it would have been our number one corner and our number one receiver. And I could just see him be like, yeah, I wanted to win now. But then again, we're the only team to offer him anything. So he'll just... It's the best tweet I saw. I saw Jeremy White retweet this. Somebody tweeted out, uh, Anquan Bolden thinks it would be easier to end racism than to end the playoff drought. I'm not here to talk politics, but I will tell you this. Everyone needs to calm down, okay? You would have thought that this – it's like every new headline that comes out about the Buffalo Bills, you'd think the sky was falling. First and foremost, I am not as upset by this news as some people out there may be. First, I mean, it comes at a time when the Bills still have two preseason games left to give the other depth options on our roster a look. I've been a big fan recently of uh, Brandon Riley. He did. He looked great because I had Hockey Thursday. Mm-hmm. He looked great on the final drive. He was catching everything until I, I uh, like TJ Yates. Dekeel Shorts has one. a lot of upside. I like the fact that if he was going to make this decision, he did it at a time when we still have games left in the preseason to establish what we have on the depth chart. And, you know, because imagine if he had done this week two, week three, once you actually start playing NFL football games. <clears throat> I mean, it, and if either one of those guys on our roster failed to impress, it gives us the ability, at least we know now that, hey, we can go out and comb the waiver wire find some guys, and bring them in and see what they're capable of. Secondly, I, to me, the game of football, it, it comes down to heart. Okay, I respect Bolden for doing what he thinks is right. He's following his political beliefs, his spiritual beliefs. He's leaving the game because he feels that his heart isn't in it. That's what it boils down to. I have watched way too many veteran football players, and not even just football players, across all sports, I have seen a lot of instances of veteran players who sign up for another season but just mail it in because they're chasing a paycheck at that point in their career and don't really have an interest in giving everything that they have, playing with some fire and putting their bodies on the line. I'm thankful that he made this decision now Instead of going week one through week 17 half-assing his job. I mean, I watched some of those preseason games. He didn't look like, I don't know, I guess I expected more out of a guy with his pedigree. You, and now He's looking, 35. Okay, but looking back at it, you can tell there's a guy who's not exactly playing 100%. His run blocking, that's the thing I thought he was going to contribute the most, and I just didn't see it. I didn't how many see chan- it. How many chances did he have run blocking? A handful. And trust me, I looked for him. It just wasn't there. And so looking back at it now after the fact, you're right. There's a reason for that. His heart just wasn't in it. And I'm glad that he decided to step away now and pave the way for somebody else who really wants to come in and compete for a meaningful role on offense. I I don't care who it is. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. It's like any job. If you don't want to do that job, then don't do it anymore. I won't begrudge you for quitting your job if your heart's not in it. I want to say thank you, Anquan Bolden, for the couple weeks you gave us. Okay, All these people, oh, I heard some, some jerk off on the whiner line this morning at WGR. Probably Greg. Talking about, oh, he's a flake. He's a flake. He doesn't deserve the, the accolades. He's, screw him. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's a, and he kept saying the word flake. 
I'm sorry. If a guy is chasing his passion and he realizes that his heart isn't in what he's doing, it takes a lot of – to turn down a, even what what is a veteran minimum, a million, two, you know, whatever he was set to make, to walk away from that kind of money simply because you know that it's not right to do so and your heart's not in it, it takes a big man to do that. So to call Anquan Bolden a flake or to so, – some of these fans have taken a really aggressive stance towards Bolden based on this decision, and I think it's horseshit. I'm sorry. The guy did what he thought was right, and I'm never going to begrudge anyone for doing that. Unless you're Carlos Williams and it's you smoking pot. Or eating. <laughs> because you're smoking pot. You're eating. At that point, I will absolutely begrudge you for the choices that you decide to make. Now, speaking of WGR 550, I just want to let you all know, you guys are out there listening. I right now have in my hand a bottle of 550 Game Time. The American Pale Ale from Hamburg Brewery. Now, let's not forget last week, I tweeted a picture of it at Ryan Gates. And he said, he said, uh, you won't be disappointed. And then I wrote back, if I am, you owe me 10 bucks. This is what I will say. I am an IPA fan. I love IPAs. I'm drinking this beer and it tastes like what reading Jerry Sullivan's weekly articles feels like like that's the only thing i can equate it to it's bland it's it's i mean i mean this beer has been done a thousand times over you could swap out the label six different ways and i wouldn't know what could what, there's nothing distinctive about it wgr I, I if you're gonna throw your name on something yeah plus the name of the beer is game time oh if you guys were going to endorse anything if you guys were going to endorse anything oh you should have taste tested it first And speaking of Jerry Sullivan, now everyone who follows our show knows that I have no love for the man. In fact, I think comedian Louis C.K. sums up my thoughts on Jerry Sullivan pretty nicely. Uh, You're the worst thing that ever happened in America. Seriously, it goes, you, slavery, and then Pearl Harbor 9-11 combined. However, in this week's article for the Sunday edition of the Buffalo News, after apparently receiving a slew of emails asking whether the 2017 was something that fans should just give up on already and how fans who are despondent over the trades and the way our, you know the way our offenses look should approach the season he had a response that was downright poignant and I quote you should be realistic about it don't invest a lot of hope in this year's team Leave room to be surprised. Enjoy the journey and evaluate the new regime with a critical eye. Hope that Bean and McDermott are patient and competent enough to lead a rebuilding plan and get it right for once. Now, I don't know if maybe his wife started slipping Xanax into his coffee, but I feel like for someone who's proven that he's a career downer, he finally wrote something that I agree with. And Chris, what, what do you think about that? I mean, it's interesting that uh, he says evaluate the new regime with a critical eye. Because if you ever watch, as a producer, I got to get all the audio for this show, and I sit there and watch all of Bean and McDermott's pressers, and Sullivan always brings up the Rex regime. No matter what, one question's got to be about the past. I mean, it, it's it's amazing that he's uh, kind of changing his. His tune well, and not, not so much changing not, his tune, but I, not I, I, basing this regime on the last regime, 
like he did on the last regime, basing it on the regime before that, and it keeps going. It's a train. See, now, to me, I just when, – when you ask me what I think Jerry Sullivan would do when a bunch of lemmings come to him and ask him if they should jump off the cliff, I would, I, I would in my mind, picture him being the guy like a third base coach just doing the windmill signal to run home. Just off the edge. But instead, it sounds like he's trying to back everybody down and just telling them, listen, let's be realists about this. Let's take this year as an evaluation period and see what this coaching staff and this front office is capable of. And let's see where they take us. Which is incredible because I thought I just I, – again, you know how I feel. I was just – I thought it was I thought it was surprising enough to talk about on the podcast. Yeah, Sullivan's a boob. Also, a huge boob. I'm choking my way through this 550 game time. Guys, if you're if you're thinking about purchasing this, I'm going to strongly advise against it. It's it's really bad. I feel like Ron Burgundy in uh, Anchorman when he's walking down the sidewalk and cursing himself for buying milk in the middle of the summer. Milk was a bad choice. That's how I feel trying to just choke this beer down because it's getting warmer and it's not getting any better. Oh, but for anybody out there looking for some, you know. <sighs> The doom and gloom crowd out there, obviously the people who are emailing Jerry Sullivan, the Buffalo News, who are on Twitter, here's a bit of good news. Jordan Matthews is back practicing on a limited basis, and he says he's confident that he's going to play week one versus the New York Jets. McDermott said the same thing about Cordy Glenn, too. Yeah. Week one. It's a, it, it's, things are looking up. I mean, considering the retirement of Bolden, the camp struggles of Andre Holmes, Zay Jones and his youth, his presence on the field would do wonders for our wide receiver depth chart. I mean, according to everything, chip fractures like the one that Matthew suffered on his very first day of practice, which is billsy by definition. Like, it's one of the billsiest things to happen in a long time. Yeah, it's like slipping on a mat. <laughs> it's like Kevin Cobb slipping on a mat. Those type of injuries aren't threatening injuries, you know, as far as, you know, your physical well-being so much as they're a pain management issue. That's going to last into the season. Now, I don't know if the coaching staff's going to ease him back in rather than just throw him out into full practices anytime soon, whether he'll be on a pitch count, you know, what they're, you know, maybe they're going to give him 15 snaps in the next game. Maybe the, the last game they'll get his feet wet, they'll get him 10 snaps just to get his feet under him. I don't, I don't know what the plan is. No one does. But if he says he's going to be available, who am I to second guess him? I mean, after all the news we've gotten lately, we certainly as fans can't afford to look a gift horse in the mouth. No, I wouldn't even play him the rest of the preseason. Remember when Sammy was injured and then Marone played him <laughs> in the fifth preseason game against Detroit and he got injured again? Don't put Matthews out Listen, there. We've seen a Keep lot him of tra- on the sideline. We have seen as Bills fans a lot of travesties in the preseason. And you're right. Him going out there would be and getting re-injured or more or aggravating that injury and costing him starts in the regular season would definitely be one of them. Now I've got another one to point out for you. Ed Hockley, everybody. Ed Hockley, referee of the century. Many Bills fans might remember last season's preseason game against Washington which was notoriously the last game tight end Chris Gregg ever played in a Bills uniform. It was that game that sparked a, a boatload of research on my part as far as the refereeing habits of Ed Hockley. In that game, he threw 23 flags for 191 total yards and made that football game almost unwatchable. 
I walked away drunk and infuriated. So Sunday afternoon, I, I did what I tend to do. I got a case of beer, sat down and did some intensive research, taking data from NFLpenalties.com and then cross-referencing it against the games officiated by Hockeylina's crew, according to the blog footballzebras.com. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's almost like the SB Nation website for refereeing. They list every single week who's refing what game. They're a very reliable source of information. So I was able to pinpoint what games Hockey League coach refed and his crew refed versus the rest of the NFL. Those of you who remember my, our shows back that far, what I found was surprising. I'm going to put all my findings in the show notes. You can, I'll put a link to them so you can review my spreadsheets and my math. But if Hockey Lee and his crew had officiated every single game in 2015, it would have resulted in every team being assessed 111 extra yards worth of penalties. I, you, what is that? What is that? Uh, that's a football field. I mean, I know some of you at home are like, oh, 111 yards for the season. That's one whole football field's worth of yardage, which is the equivalent of one score. Anyone who follows football knows how many games get decided by one score here or there. Uh, an ill-time penalty that kills a drive that ultimately ends up in a, in, in a score, whether it's a field goal, a touchdown. Pushes you out of field goal range. Pushes you out of field goal range. You have to try for a touchdown. You don't convert. The game's over. There's a lot of things that these penalties impact. And those yardage may, those penalty yards may have negatively impacted a lot of scoring drives over the course of a season and eventually dictated the outcome of a lot of games if it had been left up to Ed Hockley. He is a career over-officiator. So you can imagine my reaction when I heard that Hockley's crew was going to be officiating last Thursday night's Bills vs. Eagles game. And, true to form, they didn't disappoint. 24 penalty yards for 216 yards! Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? And once again, I ended up watching all the way to the end just out of morbid curiosity. I mean, I was I was texting with a bunch of my friends, and they're like, I can't believe you still have this on the TV. I was like, I can't, I can't look away. I can't look away. It's I like need a to car s- accident. I, yeah, I, I need to see how deep this shit gets here. <laughs> and and it got deep. I mean, the Bills got called for a false start on the second to last play of the game, and then the game ended with an interception. <laughs> oh, so Ed, here we are again. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to dig into your 2016 numbers the same way I did your 2015 officiating. And I'm going to look and see if I find evidence of the same kind of gross over-officiating that I've found to be in the guy's history. I think what bothers me about this the most isn't so much that it's happening, but that if some jerk with beer goggles on can sit down at a laptop and do this type of research and come to these kind of conclusions, you cannot tell me that the NFL can't, doesn't, or isn't aware of it and just friggin' accepts it. What I know, I mean, you're talking about a league that has real concerns that they're facing about the quality of its on-field product. Games like that one that we watched last week should be catching someone in the league office's attention. I mean, Chris, back me up on this. Yeah, well, A, that game should have never have happened. It's something I hear listening to Clay Travis, listening to Colin Coward. 
why does the NFL need preseason games? Next weekend, the uh, Labor Day weekend, you got Alabama, FSU. College guys don't play preseason. You're having guys coming out of high school, and then their first game after their last high school game is Alabama and FSU. You mean, to, two, you, you two mean top, to tell two top ten teams? Yeah, a one versus three in college. You mean to tell me that the NFL needs preseason games? It's just incredible to me. And so, like I said, there's something to be said about Ed Hockey League's officiating. And I'm not gonna. I'm like a dog with a bone now. You're not gonna get this away from me. I'm gonna chase this. I'm gonna chase this as far as I have to and make as much noise as I can until somebody recognizes this. This going on. Oh, and if and if no one does, then I'm gonna be like Jim Carrey and liar liar when he goes to pick up his car from the impound lot and just admits that he's just gonna bitch and moan and then bend over and take it up the tailpipe. Oh. <laughs> so speaking of the Bills versus Philadelphia Eagles, okay, that game was an embarrassment to watch. I had hockey. I didn't get to see it. You did, didn't get to. You didn't have to watch it. I mean, I would have if I was Oh, home. you spared yourself, my friend. God, this beer, it's like I'm chewing my way through it. It's friggin' terrible. Ten bucks for a six-pack. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and we're done. Do not get Ugh. game time 550. There's a bottle opener. Someone, get, get me a bottle opener over here. Game Thank time you. 550. Thank you, Chris. It's... <laughs> You had it in your pocket. I gotta get this it's, moose head. Yeah, game time five fifty beer. Open, folks, I have folks, I have to open a moose head to wash the taste of this five fifty game time out of my mouth. Surprisingly, that's got five point five percent alcohol. Get it? Five fifty percent alcohol. <laughs> so back to the preseason game. The game was atrocious. It there's not a whole lot of positives to take away from it. But as we do for every preseason game, since they're not wor- worth breaking down statistically, I'm going to give you my hero and zero of the game, and we're going to start off with my zero, which is the Bills' offensive line. If I had to find an analogy for the performance of Buffalo's offensive line, I'd compare it to one of M. Night Shyamalan's recent films. It started slowly. At a lot of different points, it was confusing, ultimately just became hard to watch and featured a surprise ending that just left everyone either upset or confused. (laughs) Every member of the unit struggled to keep up with the pass rush. I mean, you're going up against Jim Schwartz. Everyone knows he's a very aggressive defensive coordinator. You knew going into the game he was going to send the blitz. And I understand that the team was showing some very vanilla, vanilla concepts they don't want to tip their hand too early, so they really didn't do any prep work. They didn't do any film study. I just, the thing that bothered me the most is that I can point to at least one occasion where each member of our offensive line looked out of place or just out-muscled at the point of attack. And our tackle play, our tackle play was atrocious. Remember last week when I said that our offensive tackles were going to be something that I'd be watching for this coming game? I wish I hadn't. I honestly wish I hadn't been paying attention to them. Because you can only imagine how pissed off I was watching Chantrell Henderson playing into the third quarter, still getting his ass handed to him by players who are not going to be on an NFL roster. And then you've got Mills, who really hasn't shown any progression whatsoever since the first preseason game. 
I mean, Chris, we've got three viable options to play a tackle, and one of them is suspended until week six. Right now, this everyone's bitching about the quarterback. Everyone's talking about Tyrod sucks, he's terrible, ah, we should just trade him, trade McCoy, end the season. It all starts up front. On offense and defense, no matter how successful you want to be in football, it starts in the trenches. Right now, our offensive line, that's a cause for legitimate concern. More so than any other position on the roster right now. Yeah, it's going to need your offensive line to perform well to give Tyrod the time to throw. And we all know that Tyrod doesn't throw it unless the wide receivers are open in a fucking field. <laughs> he is a see-it-then-throw-it quarterback. And we've that's set, the we've, nature of how he does We've it. said it like the last, that the last like two years. It's annoying. And then we have the hero of the game, someone who brought a smile to my face, and that would be newly traded for a cornerback, EJ Gaines. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world! Woo! Greg, the dude that I used to work with, texted me and was like, see, Ron Darby doing shit in Philadelphia, and I was like, well, that's his scheme. <laughs> that plays to his skill set, and he's like, he's a second-round pick. He should be able to play in any system ever created in defense that's because your friend greg is an ass yeah and i was like okay yeah you're complaining he you're complaining about him getting a pick and i was like ej Gaines, who we just traded for got a pick so why don't you suck his dick too (laughs) ej Gaines, i'll admit i didn't expect much from him you know he's coming in from another team he's not all that familiar with our scheme our verbiage the playbook it was nice to see him step in to relieve tredavious white with the second and third string defense and just start to show flashes right out of the gate of how solid he can be in the right scheme when utilized properly. His stat line for the night goes one interception, two passes defended, and three tackles. And the pick was great because he tracked the ball in the air, realized it was going to be an overthrow, and took the right angle to basically run the wide receiver off of his route. He essentially forced the wide receiver out of position so that he could basket catch that interception. It was incredible. It sounds like uh, it sounds like it'd be a, a play from a defender that knows how to play in a zone coverage. Yes, yeah, maybe, maybe. But but your friend Greg wouldn't know anything about that. No, because he doesn't understand zone versus man versus. Because Darby's a second round pick, he, he should play in any system. He doesn't understand He's pattern matching and things of no. that nature. What what your friend does know is that he knows everything about Buffalo sports. What I will say is that. From what I saw in Gaines, that's encouraging. If he can gel with the rest of the secondary quickly and establish a role for himself early on, it's going to give us a lot of flexibility. It's going to give us the ability, because right now, Kevon Seymour has been playing on the outside of the defense because he's one of the most tenured cornerbacks on the roster. It would give us the ability to move him back inside to the slot, where I think that's his strength. You can match him up on a tight end. You can match him up on slot receivers that he can just jam at the line. Even though they tend to be smaller, shiftier guys, he can muscle them and he can cover them well. Except Gronk. Except Gronk, yes. No well, one can cover him. Well, he's yeah, he's, he's Gronkowski. But ultimately, I look at the way our secondary is shaping up, and I don't think things are going to be as bad as everyone thinks they are. Now, the only downside to this is that Gaines was recently sidelined with a hamstring injury, which kind of sucks. He's missing some practice time. I don't know that he'll get to play this weekend, which is essentially the it's the dress rehearsal for the starting offense and defense. Now, this is where this is like a 
this is like a regular season game, the way they're going to treat it. If he's not able to go, I do think that that will set him back some. I'm hopeful that he can at least get some reps in that fourth game just to, again, continue acclimating to our scheme. Because I think that, you know, everyone thinks, oh, well, how good can this guy be? He just got here. I think that he can, if he can acclimate quickly, he could be a very good piece to our secondary. And now, folks, we're going to switch gears and we're going to move into the last installment of our AFC East Roundup Training Camp Edition. And it's, it, you know, we've touched on the Jets, we've touched on the Patriots, and I think it's really kind of fortuitous how everything turned out that we're going to finish with the Miami Dolphins. Travis Wingfield. Honestly, I think it's more of a function of Adam Gaze and what he means to this offense. Thirdand10.com. Kenny Stills does a lot for clear out routes. Locked on Dolphins podcast. Are we worried about Ryan Tannehill not being consistent? But this is Miami, pal. Ladies and gentlemen, I have from the aforementioned publications, Travis Wingfield on with us tonight. Travis, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How you fellas doing? <laughs> Not too bad. You change jobs more often than most people change their boxers, my friend. <laughs> so, you, for those of you who aren't familiar with Travis's work, Travis runs a he has a website where he kind of rates quarterbacks. He does a lot of quarterback analysis at thirdandten.com, and he has recently taken over as the host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast on the Locked On Sports Network. What's that transition been like for you? It's definitely a different. Um, kind of in control of my own thing here is the only I, I'm the only host on the show so that's kind of that's different and that's kind of nice like I mentioned you guys pre-show you know I don't have to wait for anybody to record for me so that's kind of cool but it's kind of hard to find material every day that's kind of the biggest thing I've noticed now doing a daily podcast I mean we do this once a week but luckily for us we're fans of the Buffalo Bills they give a shit to write about every friggin week <laughs> every week this offseason there's been some kind of a story to talk about so this is I for us we're in paradise over here you I, I feel like you guys have had a busy off season, so I don't know. I feel like you guys uh, you guys got a lot of t- lot to talk about here. They have injuries, and we did trades. Well, and then that's first and foremost. That's where I guess my conversation about the Miami Dolphins off season starts. Injury parade. It seems to be the definition of your off season. I mean, let's just I, I want to run down a brief list with you here. You've got your starting quarterback, obviously. Big story across the NFL. Ryan Tannehill goes on the IR. Then the following players joined him. Your starting left guard, Ted Larson. Your start, one of your starting linebackers, rookie draft pick, uh, Raquan McMillan. A backup cornerback, and Tony Lippett, who at one point was your starter last year. And then one of your depth-wide receivers, uh, Walsh, there. He goes on the IR. To compound that a little bit further, some of your other players are starting to get these nagging kind of injuries. They're missing practice time. You've got backup running back Kenyon Drake, starting free safety Nate Allen, starting right tackle Juwan James recently missed practice time with an injury, starting tight end Julius Thomas that you recently acquired in a trade has missed practice time. And now your replacement guard, who was supposed to step in for, I'm assuming, whoever your right guard was this season, He's now also missing practice time with a knee scope. He may actually miss some regular season time. I, first and foremost, where are Dolphins fans on the scale of everything is fine and I want to throw myself off a bridge when it comes to the injuries? Well, let me put it this way for you. Before the season, or before all this started to happen, I was thinking a 10, 11 win season, not challenging the Patriots yet, probably 
hopefully winning a playoff game. And now I'm kind of to the point to where I'm looking for other reasons to get excited for football, like college football or <laughs> my quarterback website or whatever else it is. Anything besides the Dolphins. Cause I just, it, like you said, they're all stacking up and I mean, it happened last year and they were able to win 10 games in the week schedule, but I don't think they're going to be able to replicate that success if they're down so many guys that are key parts or, or key depths to the roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the list just continues to grow for you guys. And it's, it's, it's really, like I said, it's a good mix. It's impacting not just a good – it's a good mix of your starters but also your depth. I mean, first and foremost, your your linebacker core wasn't great to begin with. I mean, you've got Kiko Alonso. You guys – it's gotten so bad that you guys recently brought in Kelvin Shepard for, for a visit. He used to be on your team when it was one of the worst run defenses in football. So – I and the fact that you signed Ray Malaluga, I mean, he's no more than he, he is. He's the equivalent of the Buffalo Bills signing Brandon Spikes. Is that fair? Is that a fair comparison to make? Yeah, pretty much a two gap defender that can't do a whole lot else besides, you know, run downhill and, and not go sideline to sideline either. So, yeah, that, that middle linebacker spot, even though they come off the field of nickel packages, so you're looking mm-hmm. at a 35 percent snap type of player. Still, that's that's a pretty big loss because the guys that were filling in for him, Mike Hole and Deion Lacey, are they're not ready for prime time. And Malaluga, there's a reason he was a free agent, you know, in mid-August. So, <laughs> I, yeah. like you said, Kel, Kelvin Shepard, yeah, that's might as well go back to Danell Ellerby there as well. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a mess. Uh, that position you mentioned, the offensive guard position. I mean, it's it's there's not really, to be honest, there's not an NFL-worthy starter on the roster for either of those two spots. I mean, not, wait, not even Craig Urbick. Craig Urbick, well, <laughs> Craig Urbick, I'll tell you, Bills fans know who Craig Urbick is. We watched yeah. him play for years, and we know that he was a below-average sub. He was a below-average backup in the NFL. He showed some flashes in certain games, but most of the time he looked like what he is, a journeyman backup lineman who can maybe come in you know rest one of your starters or if a guy goes down mid-game you can kind of bring him in and hope to limp to the finish line he is not your starting guy on any roster in the nfl so the fact that you don't even have his services available at this point i mean you guys are thin at depth across all positions on the offensive line at this point what's going to happen there i mean where what happens with the i mean you've got mike pouncey who He's going to get some action. They're going to take him out of the bubble wrap, and they're going to let him start playing. <laughs> What's going to happen as far as depth on your offensive line this season? It's non-existent. I mean, I don't really know how else to say You mentioned that Craig Urbick's the kind of guy that can come in off the bench in a pinch and give you some reps. And I would feel pretty good about him being the first interior lineman off the bench. But anything above that where you're expecting him to start multiple games, then you're really, you're really out of – at a negative at that position. So he's, he is that type of guy. I thought Ted Larson was kind of the same thing, kind of a more of a, a, a super sub than anything. So really the left guard right now, there's two guys that are going to compete for it. A guy named Jesse Davis, who I didn't know about until the preseason started, who's just been getting his butt kicked against ones and twos, <laughs> and whoever he's playing. And then Isaac Asiato, the fifth round rookie from Utah, who he, it's like one snap, he'll blow a guy off the ball and, and open a huge hole. And the next snap he'll whiff and, and be on his face. So it, it I've just pretty much accepted the left guard's going to be revolving door all season for the Dolphins. Jesus. Well, so that brings me to, I guess, my the roster overview portion of this, uh, this Q&A here. What position group, when you take a look at who the Miami Dolphins are as a football team right now today, what position group do you think is going to be one of the biggest sources of strength for Miami this year? I think the strength 
it's between two positions, and I'll pick one. I'll say them both. I'll pick one. Uh, the wide receivers, I just think from the one through three are all really good players, Landry, Parker, and Stills. But I think the defensive line, and in particular the edge rusher, has really improved just with the addition of Will Hayes and Charles Harris. You know, Charles Harris, he's he's a pass rush specialist, which is what he's going to get a chance to do in his, mm-hmm. in his rookie year, at least early on. Mm-hmm. Probably going to be the kind of guy that can come out and close out games when they're winning in the fourth quarter and, and you know, give you fresh <laughs> legs over Andre Branch or Will Hayes. <laughs> Did you just say winning in the fourth quarter? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm Ten sorry. wins, sir. Ten wins. Last year, last year. Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So then, so you you're looking at the defensive line and the wide receiver group. Now, everyone who knows who looks at your wide receiver group, I mean, everyone's familiar with uh, Jarvis Landry. One of the big storylines that I've read coming out of Miami Dolphins camp, because yes, even though I hate, I think it's I don't know. I hate any man who voluntarily wears teal. But uh-huh. <laughs> but I do follow up on the teams in their division. And one of the big stories has been that Devontae Parker seems to be becoming the wide receiver that you guys expected him to be finally. I, well, what do you think? I mean, is this, is, this, is this true? Do you see a lot of upside coming from that guy? I think there's a lot of merit to the – I mean, we've heard all offseason about how he's been kind of the man during camp. And I, I think there's some merit to it especially when you factor in Jay Cutler getting here. I, I know Ryan Tannehill is more of a safe and underneath and, and work the middle of the field type of quarterback. He's capable of doing the, the deep stuff, but Jay Cutler is a guy that's going to really let it rip a lot more. And even though Adam Gaze's offense is designed to get the ball out quick and mitigate some of those those disaster plays that Cutler's prone to where he extends and, and makes a dumb decision, Gaze is capable of mitigating that to a certain point. But I think that that gambling style is going to pay off in the way that he can kind of escape. And, and Devontae Parker is a really good freelance receiver once the play is broken down. And, and we saw it last year with Tannehill a couple times. So I think that he'll be able to benefit from Cutler being more risk-reward prone than Tannehill was. So I think that he'll break out at least more so than he has the first two years of his career. Well, I mean, that's got to have Dolphins fans excited. Now, I'm going to switch gears here and ask you, on the flip side of the coin – what are two position groups that you think, like as Bills fans, we're, we're looking for any reason to poke holes in you know other teams, <laughs> things that we can get excited about to say, hey, things aren't so bad over here. You know, they, these guys have weaknesses too. If you could point to two weaknesses on the Miami Dolphins roster right now, what would they be? The first one's a given, like we mentioned earlier, the interior mm-hmm. offensive line. You you mentioned Mike Pouncey in the bubble wrap. I, I'm really curious to see what he looks like tomorrow night in Philadelphia because we haven't seen him play a game since, or even practice really, since October last year or early November. So mm-hmm. it, if without him, you go, the center position becomes the exact same weakness as left guard, which is already a, a, you know, a disaster. And then right guard, Jermon Bushrod, is, he's, I don't know if serviceable is the right word, uh, if, if nothing else, he's dependable. I mean, he played 16 games last year with a with a torn shoulder, mm-hmm. so it's good that he at least has the toughness to get through that. But his play wasn't necessarily any good. <laughs> but so you you have three guys in, that are you know an outside zone scheme. You're gonna have to find a cutback lane somewhere. And if you have two of the three guys getting beat on every play, I mean, we saw a lot of negative runs for Ajayi last year. I think that could be a big concern as well this year. <clears throat> and then the other one that I would touch on would be it, it, everyone kind of gives me some grief for always saying this, but I think I said it to you guys last time was is the cornerbacks. And you know Byron Maxwell is about as up and down as it gets as a player. He he can punch a ball out and, and cause a fumble and then get smoked in the next play. So you just never know what you're going to get with him. He's such a such a wild card, and he, and he misses a lot of games, too, with injuries. And then the rookie, Xavier Howard's had a good camp. I've heard a lot of good things, but he missed a lot of time last year, too. Nickel corner Bobby McCain is 
it's a tough position. We all know that, but he, he struggles at times. I remember then, the Bills picking on Bobby McCain that one game that we beat you guys like a drum in Miami. I yes. remember that Bobby McCain was one of the receivers Tyrod Taylor just absolutely picked on the entire game. It was awful. Like his stat line at the end of the game, he gave up, I want to say, almost near double digit catches. And the yardage gained on him was upper in like the nineties, almost a hundred. I think on that, I think on that game he was on the outside, and then they replaced mm-hmm. him, and then we started going to like three, four wide receiver sets and they to, had to get bring him, him back to on get the him field, back just on to the get field. him back on the field so they could throw at him again. I was gonna say they they probably worked uh, Charles Clay and Chris Hogan because you know how Rex Ryan loves to <laughs> let yeah. former players beat his old team, and that's <laughs> that's where they would operate. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he just it. And that's one of the things that I I find interesting about the way your roster is configured. Because when I look at your team, you're right. You guys have made some strides. You know, you've drafted well. Xavier Howard, he looks like a nice draft pick. You've got some talent at certain positions. I mean, Rashad Jones is one of the best safeties in our division. I think we can all agree on that. He's one of the best safeties maybe even in the entire conference. So when you look at what you guys have on the back end of the defense – you guys have some talent there, but at cornerback with injuries, you know, already hurting your depth, you've got some stuff happening here that kind of may give fans cause for concern. And so for a team like the Bills who are already struggling to kind of substantiate any kind of a passing game, that has to, you know, to us, we look at, hey, we don't play them until the end of the year. There's going to be injuries. Things are going to happen. Who knows? We may go up against this depleted secondary of the Dolphins and actually be able to do something. Because they're fr- because like you said, your defensive line is going to be good. I trust that they're going to be good. So hearing that your cornerbacks and that's a point of concern that gives me some confidence as a fan. Now, I guess I've got a couple more questions for you. I, the place I want to start is this. Now you touched on when you were talking about the wide receivers. You brought up the fact that with Jay Cutler, you expect the team to perform a little bit better. You you expect Devonte Parker to have more chances to make plays. Because he's a, more of a gunslinger. I mean, is that a fair term to use in terms of Jay Cutler? You do quarterback study. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I expect him to be better. I think it's better for Devontae Parker, but worse <laughs> for the team in general. Well, that, And that's going to be my question for you here, because I've got some under-over predictions that I want you to try <laughs> to make regarding Jay Cutler's statistics. And I'd like to point out that in his last 35 games, he is 12-23. and 23. First and foremost... <laughs> Over under 3,600 yards passing. I will say over. You're going to say over. Now, is that yeah. a function of the fact that the wide receiver core around him is better than what? Because I'll, I'll be honest, his his average with the Bears as a long-term starter is right around 3,500 yards. So, well, his best season was under Adam Gase. Yeah. So this is the thing. Does the Gase factor in your mind make him – more likely to throw for more yardage, given that he had and in the talent around him. I mean, he's got Landry, he's got Jarvis Landry, who essentially can take a ball, and he, I mean, he's a yards after the catch machine. That guy. So you think that he's going to do over thirty six hundred? Just, to, uh, I guess I want to know your rationale behind that. Yeah, no problem. I, I got it for you. So uh, you mentioned the function of Adam Gaze's offense. He wants to throw the ball more than he wants to run it. And he even said it last year when Ajayi was ripping off the 200-yard games that he said, you know, 
make sure I keep feeding this guy because I have a tendency to lean towards the passing game. And with the guy that he's familiar with in Jay Cutler, he will just continue to pass the ball probably 60, 65% of the time, even though they have Jay Ajayi back there. Uh, you mentioned the skill players. It's I think it's the best group of skill players he's ever had in his career. You know, Kenny Stills is going to get free, you know, every other game for a chance to hit a deep ball. And like you said, Jarvis Landry is going to break tackles and get some big yards after the catch. So just a function of volume. I mean, if he passes the ball, you know, X amount of times, he's going to hit that number, which I think will pass the ball that many times. So I don't think the, the volume is going to be a concern. It's going to be more about it being efficient. Okay. Next on the docket, interceptions. 14 and a half interceptions, over or under? I'll go over on that. We, You know, they talk about how Adam Gaze is so prone to preventing, you know, turnovers and interceptions. But, you know, a guy is who he is, and Jay Cutler likes to take his chances. So I, I just think that if he plays all 16 games, an average of less than a pick per game would, would probably be a good thing. I was going to say, his he averages, as an NFL starter, he's averaging 15.1 interceptions per season. So I think you're erring on the right side of caution here with that pick. And finally, touchdowns. 23-and-a-half touchdowns, over or under? I'll take the over there, too, and that's another th- – I'm, I'm just going to keep on going back to it. And Adam Gaze, the way he he creates opportunities in the red zone, He's all of his quarterbacks have always had good red zone stats. Ryan Tannehill was really good last year in that area uh, in the red zone, you know, throwing touchdowns compared to interceptions. So I think that there's a lot of easy plays down mm-hmm. in that area just because of the play design. So I'll go over on all three of those stats. All right. So – what are some marquee games on the Dolphins' schedule this season that you're looking at as crucial to your playoff hopes in 2017? I mean, there's got to be a couple. Everyone does it. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at Carolina. You know, as a Bills fan, I look at our game on the road week two in Carolina. That's I expect the Jets to come in here with either Josh McCown or Christian Hackenberg starting a quarterback. I expect our defense to make life miserable on them. And I think because we have a better rushing attack at this point, we should be able to win that football game. I want to see what our team can do on the road in a hostile, you know, in hostile territory and whether or not they can produce offensively enough against another good defensive team with a potent at times offense, if they can produce. So for me, I've got that circled. What about you? Are there any games that jump out to you and other Dolphins fans as far as being like a linchpin on your season? It's funny you mentioned Carolina because there's a there's a stretch of primetime games where they go at Baltimore, home for Oakland, and then at Carolina. And I think those are three pretty tough matchups, and those are the ones I think will really kind of steer the course of how the season goes. So mm-hmm. yeah, let's I'll say the Carolina one on Monday night for the same reasons you said, but also the first two games of the year. We open at home with the Buccaneers. And they're obviously like everyone's pick to become, you know, the next take the yep. next step forward yep. for whatever, you know, all the all the reasons that, you know, you've heard on Hard Knocks or whatever. But um, that game and then week two going to L.A. to San Diego slash L.A. to play the Chargers in that little soccer stadium, I think is going to be a, <laughs> a big one, too. Just oh. just to see what kind of start they get off to, because last year they were one and four. And, you know, the schedule toughens up for us again midseason, like I mentioned. So getting off to a good start and, and winning at least one of those two games, I think, is going to be crucial to their success. I just I look at your schedule and I look at your team and your makeup. I mean, mid, you're right. It does get a lot more difficult later on in the season. Do you think, looking at it, that this is a playoff caliber team, given the schedule? And give me your take on what you think the Dolphins' final record is going to be in 2017. I would say 
eight and eight is my guess right now. I just like you mentioned, the, the injury is the key to the key spots. Like you can't lose that many. It happened last year at safety. We lost our first two safeties. Then you're running with your third and fourth safety, and all of a sudden you go from having a good safety group to one of the worst in the league. And the same things already happened at offensive guard. So mm-hmm. I think there's going to be problems in the running game, a lot of negative plays. And then uh, the turnovers from Cutler, as well as the inability to, to defend the run, which still has been showing up in the preseason and from the past couple of years. So I think that there's all those weaknesses combined, tougher schedule, and uh, a transition in the first few weeks to get used to a new quarterback. I think eight and eight makes me feel that's about where I would say is eight and eight. Wow. I mean, you sound like you sound more optimistic than most Bills fans I talk to about our season. So at least you got that going for you, right? <laughs> hey, there's a drought for everyone, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Travis, uh, what are you doing over at thirdand10.com? It's third spelled out, right? T-H-I-R-D and, and the number 10. Yeah, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to find a, dona- a dona- domain name these days. Uh, yeah, so I, I just published the week two recap from all the quarterbacks and their performances. Um, week three, I'm going to do like a mock grading thing where I'll actually do my grading system throughout the games, but it's going to be kind of tough because they don't have the all 22 film on Game yeah, Pass until the regular season. There's no all so, 22 footage, which makes all of this reek. That's why I gave up trying to recap preseason games. Yeah, I just, it's, it's pointless. <laughs> I just I just know what made me mad and what made me drink harder than I already was, and I commit exactly. those moments to memory. You, I guess you can kind of watch the running game, but it's pretty hard to tell. I mean, you can kind of tell passing concepts based on how the receivers release and that stuff, but mm-hmm. you're just kind of guessing for the most part. So yep. it's without the 22 film, it's pretty tough to, to get a look at. But yeah, I recap all the quarterbacks you know, every week, and that's that's just kind of something I've been doing. But this week, I'll actually have grades that will be a preseason tune-up for me as well. So <laughs> look for that. All right, guys. So if any of you out there, you know, if you have any interest in quarterbacks, I, I urge you to check out his work on this. I find it really interesting. That's thirdand10.com. And then where can they, you know, obviously Locked On Dolphins, you know, what's what's the web address for that? We're going to put a link to it in our uh, in our show notes. I don't know the exact vanity URL. <laughs> I know it's audioboom.com, something Locked On Fit Dolphins, but I usually okay. just use the, the the Apple podcast for mine. So okay, so they can they it. can find it through Apple. They can find yeah. it. Uh, and then where can they find you on Twitter in case they have any morbid curiosity and just seeing what goes through the mind of a Dolphins fan as their season eventually unravels? <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, it's, it's at Wingfield NFL. And like, uh, like you mentioned, I'll be, I usually tweet the games live for the most part. Uh, so that's that's something fun to follow as well. Travis, as always, you're a good sport. I appreciate you humoring us and coming on to our show again. Thanks so much for your time, brother. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, dude, I think every time we get Wingfield on, it just gets better and better with him, with the knowledge that he brings. And now that he's doing that 3rd and 10 website, doing breaking down the quarterbacks, the dude's great. If you don't follow him, follow him. <laughs> follow him and... Guys, coming up Saturday night, this is it. This is the big show for the preseason. I mean, this is what this is what weeks of training camp practices don't really mean. I don't want to say they don't mean anything, but don't really show anything. The first two preseason games are very vanilla. There, there's nothing going. This is the this is the this is the big show. Preseason game number three at Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, everybody's supposed to play at least the first half. The first half. This is a dress rehearsal for week one. Well, I understand that you know the quote-unquote preseason pledge that the guys at WGR 550 keep ranting about in regards to not taking preseason football too seriously. 
There are some very real issues that I'm going to be keeping tabs on throughout this game, and I would invite you all to join me. Here are my three things to watch for. First and foremost, penalties. First and foremost, see who's officiating and then do penalties. <laughs> the Bills are the only team in the NFL to commit more than 100 yards with the penalties in each of their first two preseason games. That's friggin' embarrassing. Were they both called by Hockey League? No. <laughs> All right. The Bills need to show that they're capable of scaling that total back, especially on special teams. Because when games start to matter, those special teams penalties, this is a team that looks to probably have to win a lot of field position, low-scoring football games. Hey, I'd rather take 15-yard clipping penalty on special teams than a 65-yard onside kick. <laughs> you are never going to let that Jets game go, my friend. No, even though it doesn't mean anything. He's, he's referring to the time at the end of last season when, Mike the Jets, when the Jets kicked off into the end zone and Mike Gillisley didn't know he had to yeah. touch the football. I'm not going to touch it. So... Ultimately, they have to show that they can scale this stuff back because come the regular season, if you're going to try to win low-scoring, you know, defensive dominant, you know, defense-dominated type games, you gotta stay out of penalty trouble because if you're giving up field position through stupid penalties, it will cost you on the scoreboard. Second thing, offensive tackle play. This is the last chance our offensive tackles have to convince me that. Any of them is capable of being a reliable or competent option to play week one. Everyone's talking about Cordy Glenn being ready to go. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I'm sorry. I just, I want to be confident, but at the same time, I'm a Bills fan. I'm a realist. I've seen some ridiculous things happen over the last 20 years of my life. If Mills, if, if Mills wore a Browns uniform, people might actually confuse him for a road cone the way he plays right tackle. Dawkins is still raw, and Henderson was a turnstile to backups last week. I want to go out and say that their play dragged the rest of the offensive line right down with them. I'm going to need to see on Saturday night our offensive tackles look like they belong in the NFL playing at this level. What are their matchups? Who are they going against? You're going to be going against Terrell Suggs. Okay, he's good. Um, you're going to be going against Tim Williams, rookie out of Alabama. Roll Tide! <laughs> There's, they've got, I mean, it's Baltimore. Baltimore always has a good front seven. They're well coached. They keep them stocked throughout the draft year after year after year. Their front seven is going to be a handful. And our offensive line has to come into that football game and look like an adequate NFL quality offensive line. If they If they fall apart, I don't know what they expect to do week one against the Jets. I mean, it's the NFL. Yes, the Jets have a very good defensive line. Yes, the Ravens have a very good front seven. Most teams in football have at least three good players in their defensive front. I'm going to need to see evidence that we can overcome that. And that's followed up by my third point. Give me an offensive touchdown. Not by Brandon Riley. Or whoever scored in the first one. <gasps> the only touchdowns scored by the Bills this preseason have been by the second and third string offenses. Our starters have failed to put any sort of sustained offensive rhythm, you know, just, just to put it out there on the field. And because of it, we've settled for field goals out of our ones. I have yet to see a member of our starting team get in the end zone. That's a problem. I don't care if it's preseason. 
I understand, oh, don't take it too seriously. You haven't seen the playbook. Someone has to get in the end zone. I'm sorry for yelling. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. not. Oh, everybody knows that we need to see that. Tyrod's got to get the ball into Clay's hands, into Zay Jones's hand, and whoever else is in that wide receiver room because everyone's leaving. <laughs> well, <laughs> everyone's leaving. Uh, guys, if I, I get it. I'm not on this doom and gloom bandwagon. I'm not. But I'm, I need to see them do something with the football offensively. I have to see it. I have to see that Tyrod Taylor can quarterback this offense. I have to see that the offensive line can hold its own against a decent front seven. Yeah, we're not going to be able to rely 100% on Shady this year. Yeah, he can't be the engine that drives our offense. It's got to come from the quarterback because ultimately in football, this idea that, oh, well, if you run the ball and play defense, you can win championships. No, you can't. You play defense because defense wins championships. Everyone knows that. The only two teams in recent NFL history who have won using the mantra of win, you know, run the ball and play defense, you win a title, have been the 2000 Baltimore Ravens and the 2014 Seattle Seahawks. Outside of those two teams, you have to have at least a mediocre passing game. What about the uh, Denver Carolina Super Bowl? The Denver Carolina Super Bowl. You don't don't tell me that Peyton lit it up on Carolina. No, that he old didn't. no that old hack. You're right. Do shit. He, did, he didn't. But, That's right. You tell me I'm right. But their running game didn't single handedly get them to the Super Bowl. Their defense did. Their defense. Because defense wins championships. <laughs> defense wins championships. I'm gonna take my shirt off. I'll see you outside. Stop Buffalo street fight. <laughs> Someone's had too many beers, folks. But ultimately, I'm gonna need to see some production out of that offensive group or else you're going to hear a whole lot of cussing next week. That's it, guys. We're going to wrap this thing up. Thank you so much for stopping by. Grandstand Sports Network. Find us there. Well, GrandstandSportsNetwork.com, our show is on there regularly, along with a ton of other great sports content. Um, you guys can check out our, uh, again, we're, we're, at the, we're almost reaching cutdown day for the roster. If you want to get familiar with everybody who's on the 90-man roster, you got to check out the Huddle Draft Magazine, the Training Camp Magazine. We're going to put a link to it in the show's description. Go check it out. It's free. What does it cost you? You go check it out. I wrote a bunch of it. What does, it's it, co- great. What does it cost you? It costs you your, their time. It costs them their time, and you just got to look at my beautiful my beautiful smiling face next to a couple of my articles. Well, yeah, it's you are. Fantastic. It's fantastic because you are smiling without showing your teeth. <laughs> I'm like a human bulldog, folks. So follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report, on Instagram, The Rockpile Report. Chris, yes. Anything else? Nope. Let's continue drinking. We got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockpile Report. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 